From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair podcast. It's Monday. L- Happy Labor Day, everybody. Yes. Thank you for Thank you for listening today or this week. And Zach, happy Labor Day to you. Thank you. Thank you too, Joanna. <laughs> what, have, what have you been drinking recently, lately, today? <laughs> well, you know, today is uh, still a, a mystery to me, so we'll, we'll figure that one out as we uh, get a little closer. But, you know, a, a few fun things. I will say, I don't think it was a highlight from in terms of what the actual, like, drink was, but I saw something and had a little taste of something that was just truly pretty, well, strange, I guess is the best way to put it. Okay. So I was at a, at a little wine gathering the other night, and someone had brought a bunch of bottles that had been basically put aside for potential be, potentially being auctioned off, but had not sort of passed muster in terms of, like, quality. Okay. So it was, like, a bunch of you know, old bottles of wine that were mostly pretty gone, like oxidized, just sort of lacking flavor. But there was a bottle of 1939 Inglenook Red Pinot. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Just a wild bottle and label to look at. Tasted not like much of anything, kind of like weak sherry, sort of. Okay, okay. But just like an interesting thing to like just hold in my hand and see. You know, it's like there aren't very many times I get to hold a bottle of wine that was like produced wow. before the US entered World War II or something. Yeah. <laughs> just not a thing that you get to see and touch very often. So that was kind of cool. That's um, neat. Although again, for anyone who's like angry at me it did not taste good so you know <laughs> that part was kind of a bummer but cool just a, a cool artifact i guess i would say and then i think uh the other thing i had uh, which is sort of like i've been it's a beer i'd had before and then i revisited it because we may be talking about it eventually on the podcast coming up uh but i had a a montucky a cold snack ah yes and you know it's like there are We'll we'll save my broader thoughts about it for when we do talk about this topic uh, on the pod. But you know, it's a it's a tasty beer. I got. I've say. never had one. Ah, well, maybe we'll can, have to drink it. I, I bet you will have to try it for the podcast. <laughs> I think I can feel confident in saying that. Uh, so yeah, that's what I've had going on. How about you, Joanna? Yeah, um, we had our uh, we had our annual summer party, mm-hmm. um, the Vine Pear Summer Party at Long Island Bar, and had some wonderful cocktails there. Of course, I think I mentioned this one last year, but the Improved Pendennis Club is my fave, and a Gimlet. So that was really fun. I also had um, went to Finback recently and that's a local brewery near us and um had one of their hazy ipas i can't remember the name of it and it was good but had their yellow cake uh beer which is a lemon lactose vanilla ipa because i was curious about it sure and it's not for me but (laughs) (laughs) was definitely very interesting It, it was quite sweet um i guess that is kind of what you get with the that combination but um that was interesting and then i had a treehouse julius um which i've never had before but that's kind of like one of the best ipas out there mm-hmm. new england style that and that was really good too cool yeah i have to ask i saw yeah. some photos from the outing yes uh, the, the summer party i saw Esty was there was mac there too mac was there yep they both were there nice the babies yeah, the they make their children of the vine, of vine pair. <laughs> yeah, they make their rounds at the bars. Nice. Yeah, do they get the VIP treatment? Of course, of course. They're, you know, uh, high chairs reserved. Well, they're not high chair ready. They're yet, not soon enough. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's also an important point to note. Uh, one last thing for those of you who have been desperately waiting. Yes, Adam 
will be back on this very podcast on Friday. Your long national nightmare is over. Uh, we'll no longer <laughs> just be Joanna and me. We'll still be here too. Don't worry. But yes, we're we're preparing for what could be a truly epic Friday episode. I'm sure Adam has a lot saved up for us. I think he's been keeping notes of all of his grievances <laughs> over yeah. the past couple of months. So get ready, everyone. You know, it's easy to come up with grievances when you're up at 3 a.m. <laughs> with a baby. So I think you know, I think I think we'll all be we'll strap in for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of, well, I don't know about grievances, but <laughs> I love to speak of grievances. Yeah, something that I think we both have uh, well, thoughts I don't know. on. Thoughts on, yeah. Well, yeah. we have to have thoughts on all. We the have topics, thoughts. But... <laughs> <laughs> so this this conversation is sort of inspired by a recent New York Times piece, as some of ours are, a piece called "Do Cocktail Glasses Have a Gender?" And you know, this is an interesting topic. The piece we'll link to. You can read it. There's a, you know, basically this question of a thing that I think I've certainly heard and and even seen in person where some men, uh, some segment of men, I don't know exactly the percentage, hard to pin down, somehow are unwilling to drink in particular cocktails if they don't come in a rocks glass. Mm -hmm. So be it a coupe, a flute, perhaps a more whimsical glass, yeah, even a martini glass. Basically, if it's not a rocks glass, they don't want it. Because mm-hmm. they don't think of those as masculine enough for them. I think you also see this sometimes with beer. I've heard this from people who uh, own breweries and tap rooms and stuff that, you know, me- some men will only drink a beer if it's served to them in a pint glass, kind of regardless oh. of whether it's the proper vessel for the for the beer. Huh. So, you know, that is a topic. I don't think we need to have a long conversation about this because I think both you and I think this is silly, even if it's also clearly something that is going on. But it did sort of lead me to think, because one of the notes in the piece is that several bars have started creating their menu in such a way that the glass that the drink comes in is either depicted or in other ways, other ways identified on the menu so that this potential problem can be avoided so that someone who will refuse to drink a cocktail if it comes in a martini glass can either not order that drink in the first place or can request that it come in a rocks glass, should that be the thing they want. And so it made me kind of ask you, Joanna, like when you go into a cocktail bar, what do you think, what kind of information should be conveyed to you or to any guest by the menu? Yeah. So I think I actually really care about glassware and I used Mm -hmm. to care a lot more about glassware and the type of uh, you know, glass a cocktail was served in, um, mostly because <laughs> not not anything to say about my mascul- masculinity. I do prefer um, a rocks glass and a, and a drink served on the rocks more for the drinking experience. Um, so I just I don't I in the past haven't really loved drinks served up, um, not because of the the vessel, but more because of how I drink it and how it drinks. Um, I feel like I drink them faster <laughs> and I I just like prefer to have a drink on the rocks. And so there have definitely been times in the past where if I'm unaware of the glass a cocktail is served in, I've asked the server, Yeah, which is maybe kind of obnoxious, but I don't know, better. Th- I feel like that's probably probably better than to be served a cocktail and then ask that it get <laughs> transferred to a different yeah. vessel. I don't know. But I do remember like a long time ago going to a bar in San Francisco called Trick Dog. And they're known for 
they're like very elaborate menus. We actually have a piece on the site about it um, for their, I think it's 10th anniversary. They had the vessel like um, specified on the menu. And I thought that was so great and kind of revolutionary because it's like actually so nice, I think, to know what kind of glass the cocktail is going to come in because I think it says a lot about the drink that you're yeah. getting too, right? Mm-hmm. So so I think that is, I don't know, I, I appreciate it when I think it's kind of playful and fun. A lot of bards do it in a creative way. Like they have it designed nicely and it's like a fun menu to look at when they add the glassware. Um, I think that's important. I also think like, I don't know, the <laughs> all of the ingredients are mm-hmm. important. Um, to list in a cocktail, I think sometimes bars probably in for the you know in the interest of space don't include everything that a drink features and maybe just a few things or you know the the bigger ingredients or the more voluminous ingredients. But um, I think it is I think it's I appreciate when everything is listed as well. Um, what I don't think we need, and this is something that has been more of a recent trend, is like. And this is me personally, but like the ABV of cocktails, hmm. some places have started listing that, which I don't know. It, it feels like uh, now we're starting to get into like labels and nutrition labels and stuff. And I, I just don't. We've talked about that before. I, I just don't want to. I don't want to go there. What do you what do you think? Well, I do think that, you know, there are sort of the like basic information that a menu should convey. I agree with you that a comprehensive list of ingredients is nice. I, I understand that bars don't necessarily want to put full-on recipes on there. Yeah, I don't need the lists. specs. I don't need the yeah. specs. Yeah, but I do think that something that that I wish bars would do a better job of in some cases is making it clear like what the drivers of flavor are. Sure. I mean, you would think that sometimes the drink is listed in order of you know kind of the most volume to the least volume as far as the drink goes, but sometimes it's the case that like I think about this sometimes with like a spicy element in a drink, right? If you're not super clear on that or you're just not you're skimming, it may be the case that the, you know, the the firewater tincture that's being added is only a couple of drops, but it's going to so dramatically impact the drink that it's I don't know if it needs to be listed first, but it should be highlighted in some way, I guess. Yeah. Um, or that information, that kind of information should be conveyed to the to the drinker so that they if they are not reading super carefully which like yes would it be good if people paid a lot of attention sure but people sometimes glance at the cocktail list they see something a name that appeals to them or they see an ingredient or two that appeals to them and they don't always get to the end of the list so you know finding a way to kind of highlight the the most impactful ingredients whether they are the most you know uh, the largest percentage of the drink by volume is important obviously things like price would be good to include on yes the drink oh list. gosh yeah, obviously I, I you know kind of assume well i mean that, that sort of goes without saying but you know you find sometimes a little bit of of uh obfuscation of the price of drinks sometimes too unfortunately mm-hmm. i think the other things that i would say that are really useful information so there are a lot of different ways to kind of lay this out and different bars can approach it differently you know there's no one size fits all approach but a sort of way to convey to the potential drinker what what the drink will be like because a list of ingredients sometimes can be hard to decipher right a some bars and some drinks can involve pretty obscure ingredients that even a relatively experienced cocktail drinker might be kind of confused by or unfamiliar with and the same list of ingredients if assembled in different proportions can taste really different and so again not asking for the specs not asking for the recipe but 
a way to convey to the drinker kind of what to expect. And I think this is where bars sometimes, I think, go a little bit wrong. Okay. A lot of bars organize their cocktail list by the base spirit. It's a sort of yeah. understandable approach, right? It is a way to classify things. It's a sort of undeniable fact about the drink, right? This this cocktail is made with whiskey, so it's a whiskey cocktail. But not all whiskey cocktails drink alike. Not all of them appeal to the same kind of drinker. And to me, the the more interesting menus and the sort of more well-executed menus group cocktails more by broad flavor profile. Maybe it's by intensity. Maybe it's by, you know, is this a spirit forward drink or is it not? Because I think that you find that people who like spirit forward drinks, yeah, they might have a favorite spirit, but someone who likes a martini might be also more keen to a spirit forward, you know, tequila drink than they would be to a margarita or yeah. margarita variant. Right. And again, we all can like different things and different be in different moods and jump around and no one's saying you got to stick to one section of the menu, but just giving people as much information ahead of time as possible, which, you know, started in this conversation with the glassware, but it goes to a lot of things. The, the more you can do that ahead of time, the more you avoid the situation that you described, which is someone gets a drink and they're like, hmm, this isn't really what I want. And that yeah. can be a no one's at fault kind of situation, right? The drink can be perfectly well made. The person can have ordered it in good faith. And just because the information was not clearly conveyed to the guest, well, that is a bummer. No one is happy in that situation. Either a drink is being remade and the bar is unhappy because that's a waste or someone is drinking a drink that they don't really want and that leaves them feeling kind of bummed out. Like there's just no, the more you can forestall that, the better. Yeah. I mean, I think that, yes, a lot can be conveyed with the menu, but I also think that if, obviously people dislike things for different reasons, but if you are that type of person who isn't going to just roll with any drink that you get served, uh, you could always ask <laughs> about it if that if that particular information, because I, I don't, I don't see that often on menus and Obviously, I have plenty of bars to visit still, but um, <laughs> yeah, kind of that kind of organizational principle. Um, I do think that, yeah, I'm trying to think now how how most bars organize their um, menus. I, I feel like it's more by like classic cocktails and then they have house cocktails. Yeah. And again, that organization is a kind of organization that is I would say easier to execute, and therefore sure. I understand why it appeals to the to the whoever's building the bar menu. But I don't know that it necessarily is does the most good for the customer. And it's really interesting to me, Joanne, actually, and just in hearing you talk about this, I, I feel like there's a way in which I almost feel like our sympathies lie in slightly different places in this interaction, weirdly. Mm -hmm. Like I think I, I am certainly generally sympathetic towards you know, the the service end of it, the bar end of it, the the establishment end of it, given my background. But I think the more I have thought about this, I think that there are a lot of circumstances where bars are not doing as much as they could without a whole lot of additional effort mm -hmm. to avoid that kind of circumstance. And while we don't, the last thing we want is what does unfortunately sometimes happen, which is where you're asking the bartender or server to kind of, you know, sort of ask the question of like, do you know what you're getting into here? <laughs> which is, you know, that can be a fraught question, right? Because with it comes a lot of perhaps, if not outright prejudice, a sort of judging people on their superficial appearance 
which is you know not a good thing for a bar to be doing in general. And <laughs> in that way, I think the more information you can provide to the guest, the better you can avoid those kinds of awkward moments where you're the yeah. bartender or server is having to ask a guest, are you sure you want this drink? Because, you know, <laughs> maybe it's not what you think it is. And, you know, that also sometimes comes back to, to things that bars could do better. I think one of them is building menus that are easy to understand and, and decipher. And sometimes frankly, just flat out easy to read. I mean, sometimes you see menus with really small typeface and like bars are generally dark places. And yes, some people have really good eyesight and people have flashlights and on their phones, but do you want them whipping their phone out to look at the menu? Probably not. (laughs) And do you want them straining to read the menu? Probably not. And part of it is about putting the information forward that is going to be most useful to the guest, not necessarily the simplest to organize for the bar. And part of it is like, here's my other one. This is maybe a mildly hot take. I also think that like, we have reached a point where like, there are too many kind of cutesy cocktail names out there that sure. it's like, yeah, I get it. Everyone wants their drink to stand out and everyone wants their drink to, you know, catch people's eye in a variety of ways. But when your name is like a reference to a lyric from a band that you like, that most people are, it's going to go over most people's heads anyhow. And it doesn't convey anything about the drink to people. That to me is just kind of like, we're missing the point here, right? The point here is not to prove your, you know, knowledge of the deep cuts from whatever band you like, but it's like (laughs) to convey to the drinker what they should expect. That is the point of a menu, right? Yeah. It is so funny. Like, why do we approach cocktails that way with like, clever inventive names instead of just saying <laughs> boozy drink featuring bourbon well, and <laughs> I think there is a middle ground that can be reached <laughs> you know I think I think about like some of the great evac- evocative cocktail names like getting about like the corpse reviver right yeah. like does that really tell you what the drink it was in the drink no including because there are multiple different corpse survivors with different recipes and stuff but like at least it feels like you might it gives you some idea of what to expect from the drink. I mean, if you are unfamiliar with cocktail history and American geography, does the Manhattan mean anything? Like probably not really. And obviously that's a classic cocktail where we, those who people who drink it and are familiar with it, know what to expect. But you know, the old fashioned isn't exactly something that tells you what it is, but it conveys correctly an air of, this is a very old cocktail. It is maybe the oldest cocktail or one of the <laughs> oldest cocktails. So I think there's a middle ground that can be reached. I think it's just, you know, there there's a it's hard to make up a drink and make up a name. And sometimes people fall back on, well, what's a thing that I'm not going to find a bunch of other versions of this cocktail floating around. Whereas, you know, if I yeah. call it the, you know, Seattle special or something that might be out there elsewhere. Maybe not. Oh, I like that. Don't think I've ever seen that one before. Don't know what it would be, but I'll work on it. You should make it up. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of adding? I don't know. I. So you're coming from this more from the like consumer, you know, bar goer point of view. At, mm-hmm. Whereas I'm coming from the, you know, bartender, I guess, uh, bar program point of view. But how do you feel? I, I think it makes sense, right? Just your point about adding as much information so that you kind of avoid that you're giving it to the consumer. They know what they're getting themselves into and you don't have to be put in that position. How do you, I get why some bars now have ABV on their menu. Like I get it, but how do you feel about that? 
I don't think it bothers me exactly. I think it's a question here of like, is this information that would be useful to enough guests for it to make sense? And it's quite possible the answer is yes. I mean, I think yeah. we certainly, I think it's certainly reasonable in the same way that like, I think it's totally fine that when you go to a brewery, a tap house, whatever, sure. they have the ABV of the beers there. And, you know, there's obviously a lower, generally a, a smaller spread of ABVs in a beer you know, in beer selections than you would find in cocktails where it could range from like an all spirit cocktail, you know, could be 40, 45% ABV quite easily versus, you know, a drink that is cut with juice, juice. or other things could be, you know, 12, 13, 14%. That's a big difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether you're, it's about your own level of tolerance, the amount of alcohol you want to consume, etc. I'm not advocating for, you know, as you said, full on nutritional facts. I think if nothing else, that would be very difficult for bars to truly Pain in the put ass. forward, <laughs> yeah. but also probably would in a way be kill some of the vibe and the romance of drinking. You know, I don't think we want to necessarily think about the exact health impacts or benefits uh, or lack thereof of a cocktail. But if ABV is something that is a determining factor for people and the kind of cocktail they would select, then yeah, I think it's a reasonable thing to include. It's also in most cases, relatively straightforward for bars to measure because obviously all the spirits are going to have an abv on them already so you're just doing some pretty simple math in most cases Mm -hmm. i do think that uh, to come back to the the kind of broader prompt you know there's there's also something i should have said before which is i think when we talk about this question about like what should the menu convey to me this conversation is largely about truly like cocktail bars i think obviously there are a lot of other establishments that serve cocktails and the extent to which they want to invest a lot of time and energy into building a cocktail menu that is as user-friendly as possible is going to vary a little bit. And, you know, you go to a restaurant and I might expect, even if it's a restaurant with a good cocktail program, I might expect the cocktail menu to be a little less in depth than a true cocktail bar, Mm -hmm. but where places where people are going for the drinks, maybe exclusively or first and foremost, that's where I think you really want to convey that much information. Because again, if you leave people with a bad feeling about their experience, that's you, then what do you, what reason do they ever have to go back? Right. If you're a restaurant and someone orders a cocktail and the cocktail isn't exactly what they wanted, but the food was great and they had a wonderful time, like, okay, they might just be like, "Hmm, next time I'll ask about the drink before I order it. But if you're a cocktail bar and you can't deliver a good cocktail experience because of, you know, through this kind of reason, you're probably not going to get a return customer. Yeah, that that makes sense. So I just wanted to ask like one other question. Sure. Or maybe just share my opinion about it and then ask you yours. So some of these, you know, I think there are some cocktail bars out there who invest a lot of money in making like a very well-designed, illustrated cocktail menu. And I think that it's worth it to do that. And I was, um, you know, I think it's so fun. I think it's so memorable to go to a place where the cocktail menu is illustrated, colored, themed, whatever. And I do think that is, you know, for so many places that are out there, like, obviously, it's not necessary, but I do think it makes a bar memorable to do that. So the places that are investing in those types of menus, I I think it's worth doing. What do you think, Zach? Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, I think the, the, for one, the visual depiction of the cocktail, especially if it's like, you know, not maybe not a photograph, because I think that's actually kind of yeah. hard to pull off well, but <laughs> yeah, if it's yeah, a, a sketch or something like that, yeah, both 
is such a great way to give people the proper expectation of like what the drink is going to look like. And this goes beyond glassware. It's it's not even about that. Although the glassware obviously is a piece of it, but it's about kind of like, you know, whether it's your sort of lack of interest in a stemmed glass, which I think is totally understandable. It has to do with, you know, it's like harder to spill something that's in a rocks glass generally. You know, you can set it down more confidently on a surface and take your hand off it without worrying it's going to like topple or get knocked over, et cetera. And it's sometimes easier to drink out of those glasses or whatever, right? But, you know, even if you're someone who's like, hey, I don't want a glass, I don't want a drink that's going to have like a big garnish on it that I have to like kind of maneuver somehow around. navigate around yeah. <laughs> to drink the drink or whatever, right? All the many reasons why people might choose a drink beyond the flavors, a visual depiction is a really kind of instantaneous way to convey a lot of that information without a lot of real estate and without a lot of words, which is, you know, great. As much as we all love words. You know, sometimes pictures are better. Yeah. I also will say that it gives the air, and I think it's not just an impression, I think it's a true thing, that the bar cares about what they're doing. You know, yeah. when you go to those lengths to convey the correct idea about the drink you're serving, it makes, makes me think that you're also going to take a lot of care in making the drink for me. That may not be 100% true, obviously, but I think that generally speaking the bars where so many of those little details or even not little big details maybe have been taken care of or considered are the bars where you have the best drinks it's just generally true yeah yeah i love that i don't know it kind of reminds me of um this is so so different but when i was little and my family used to go to like our local diner the placemats that they had were like cocktails like mm. illustrated cocktails and their recipes okay and I just loved it. I just thought it was the best thing ever. And I learned all about the cocktails, what they looked like, probably made me want to drink them. But I just, I think it's so fun. And it's such a, it's such a way to kind of uh, be unique and kind of, yeah, share exactly like what your approach is as an establishment. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's a, I think, I don't know, it's just like you can have so much fun with it. Well, and there's like this other little thing too, which is like, it taps into this piece of our brains, I guess, where you see the picture of the thing and then the thing arrives and you're like, ah, I have got what I wanted Yeah. in a way that a list of words on a piece of paper just can't convey. And I think about this, like, you know, it's funny you're talking about the experience with diners, but I, I think about sometimes how for me, there are certain kinds of restaurants where you will go in and the menu will have like pictures of the food and, and there's something kind of. I mean, I don't think you would see this in like a ultra fine dining restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of an interesting <laughs> approach. Like and maybe someone does it or has tried it. If you've <laughs> seen this before in that setting, let us know. Podcast at vinepair.com. <laughs> but there is something about like the the seeing the food before you get it and then hopefully it, you know, kind of living up to the photo hopefully. or not. And then that's yeah. something you can talk about depending <laughs> on the restaurant. But I do think that there's there's just something that like connects with a very like fundamental part of our brains for most people where there's some satisfaction you get out of like, ah, I have visualized the thing that I'm going to get. And now here it is. And I can enjoy it in a way that, like I said, yeah, words on a page just can't quite do. Yeah. I think the last thing also is that, um, you know, we talk about social media quite a bit Mm -hmm. on this show. And I think a lot of people probably before they go to a place for a restaurant or a cocktail bar specifically, will look it up beforehand to kind of know what they're getting themselves into and what they'd like to order or what looks interesting. Um, and I think, yeah, having having an illustrated menu um, kind of takes 
takes uh, some of that work off of the consumer to do it. And I think it's just, um, yeah, it's an it's a nice touch and addition to um, how you approach service. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. More illustrated menus, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this was great, Zach. And uh, our last chat before Adam returns. We're very excited for that. And um, have a wonderful week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.